This is Doc's Outside the Box, episode 24. Run it. Welcome to Doc's Outside the Box podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry, you're getting real life insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. This episode of Docs Outside the Box is brought to you by Equal Access Health. Created for doctors by doctors, Equal Access Health was established with the specific goal of improving a doctor's quality of life, all while providing continuous quality care for patients. We offer competitive rates for doctors and low costs for employers. We're not your average locums company. Besides using the latest in technology, we provide our docs with resources to help manage finances as an independent contractor. Worried about taxes, health insurance, investments, debt payoff, or even savings? EAH has got you covered. At EAH, you're more than just a locum. You're a colleague. To learn more about EAH locums, visit us at www.equalaccesshealth.net or email us at info at equalaccesshealth.net. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I am the Doc Outside the Box, Dr. Nee Darko, and I'm excited to bring another episode to you. It's been a while since our previous episode, and I really appreciate the feedback that I've been getting from the last two episodes. I decided to do something differently, and instead of giving you interviews, I decided I'm going to give some solo episodes, and whether they're positive or or negative, it still helps me to kind of decide and kind of push the limits on what you guys really want. So based off of the feedback, it looks like I've been getting a lot more positive than negative feedback, but nonetheless, I will still continue to kind of throw those in every now and then in between some great episodes. So without further ado, I just want to quickly jump into a five-star review on iTunes. This one is from Jump Eagles 43 and it starts with great podcast opens your mind. As an MS4 whose passion extends beyond medicine, I feel more encouraged after listening to these interviews. Thank you, Dr. Darko. I look forward to future episodes. Well, Jump Eagles 43, thank you very much for the five-star review. Appreciate it. Mad props. Um, And with everybody who's listening, I always appreciate feedback, whether it's good, whether it's bad. And you can leave feedback either through iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. There's so many different ways you can reach me. Now, sometimes I may take a little while to get back to you. That's a different story, Um, but I'm pretty good with getting back to people, whether it's through the website or through email. So always feel free to contact me and let me know what you think um, is good for the show and what ways you think we can get better. So on to the next one, on to another great episode. This one, it was bound to happen. So you guys, as you know, technology has been disrupting so many different 
industries, whether it's the taxi industry with Uber, food delivery, with so many different apps that you can get on your phone. You can get food, depending on where you live, 24 hours a day. Um, There's pretty much an app or web design or web uh, page for anything that you can think of. And now we're entering into the world of actually this technology actually starting to disrupt the way how healthcare is delivered in the United States. And if my next guest, if she has anything to say about it, she's definitely going to make sure she leaves an imprint on the future of healthcare delivery. So enter stage left. Here comes Dr. Paula Muto. She's a general and vascular surgeon currently practicing in Massachusetts. Dr. Muto created UberDoc, which is a new web platform that allows patients direct access to a surgical specialist for a single and even transparent price. So far, this is only for non-emergent surgical issues. So look, if you have gallstones, or if you even have a broken ankle, this this is for you. But if you have like appendicitis, uh-uh, this is not for you, okay? But this is perfect for patients who have high deductibles or even those who can't wait multiple days for a referral. So as UberDoc touts for a small fee for $300, you get to see a general surgeon or any type of surgical specialist without waiting, with no insurance restrictions, or even a referral. So my question is, when is this coming to Pennsylvania? So right now, it's it's located basically in Massachusetts for right now. On the doc standpoint, the buy-in for them is they get the opportunity to supplement their practices with cash up front from visits, as well as they get to advertise their practice in a very non-traditional fashion. So it sounds like a win-win situation for both patients as well as for doctors. So very briefly, before we get into the interview, Dr. Muto She graduated from Amherst College and then went on to New York Medical College where she got her MD and then looks like she went back up to Massachusetts and completed her general surgery and vascular surgery training at Tufts as well as Leahy Clinic respectively. So some things that I want you to pick up on this episode are where she got the idea for UberDoc, what's it like trying to convince other doctors to try this new service, her thoughts on UberDocs and how it could change healthcare delivery in the United States. And for all you docs out there who are sitting on the fence, who don't know if you want to jump into entrepreneurship or anything that's related to living outside the box, she's got some advice for you. And of course, we're going to learn how she answers, I'm not just a doc. So without further ado, I present Dr. Paula Muto. Back at it again with another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I am excited to bring to you Dr. Paula Muto founder, creator of UberDoc, which the tagline is the new face of old-fashioned medicine. Dr. Paula Muto, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, look, before we get too much into the nitty-gritty of the show, um, can you give our audience a brief introduction of who you are? Okay. So um, so I am a general vascular surgeon in Massachusetts. I'm actually living, uh, I live outside of uh, Boston. Um, I'm uh, the daughter of a, a great thoracic surgeon. I, my brother is a surgeon. I'm married to a general vascular surgeon. I have two uncles uh, that are surgeons as well. And we all basically practice surgery in Massachusetts. So you might say we're infected with the same virus or suffer from the same delusion. My goodness, uh, surgery is in the blood, huh? It is in the blood. So at any any rate, so um, I've been, you know, you know, surgery is my life, and um, and I've been railing against the system for quite a while. I'm a private practice solo surgeon, so I work in a community setting. Um, I'm in an inner city, I next to an affluent community. I work with the for profit, the non profit. I mean, but kind of I have a very good perspective on it, and I also run my own practice. And over the years, especially recently, it's been coming increasingly difficult for patients to get what they need. 
So after writing to the Wall Street Journal too many times, I decided maybe I can change things. Yeah, I, so, I looked that up, actually. You've written to them a couple of times, actually. Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? So, um, But at any rate, so my feeling was that there's got to be a better way. And um, I was reading in the New York Times about a year and a half ago about a woman who twists her ankle, goes dutifully to the emergency room, and they send her to her primary care. And she obeys and goes, and the primary care sends her to a networked, orthopedic in Stamford, Connecticut, which is kind of ridiculous because she doesn't have a car. She can't drive because of her you know, injury and there's no public transportation. So she Googles orthopedic surgeons uh, in New York City and within a two block radius of her home, she finds about 25 of them. Um, she finds one, pays cash, uh, has a great encounter, great experience. And she says, why can't it be this way? And it's like, why can't it be this way? Why can't we be make a very simple transaction that's transparent and easy for both the patient and the surgeon? So that's where UberDoc kind of came from, the idea that you could provide direct access. So UberDoc is a web application that will allow a patient direct access to a surgical specialist for a transparent and affordable price. The idea is that you would go to a walk-in center, have a problem. They would say, you need to find a surgeon. How do you find the surgeon? Well, you can scroll down a directory and you can find an UDOC who is a board-certified or board-eligible surgeon that is five-star hotel, um, all good surgeons. Um, and essentially, uh, you'd be able to either call, make a traditional appointment, or push a button and make the appointment um, seamlessly through the application. And the idea would be that your health savings account or your credit card would be debited. So it's seamless and simple so that essentially the transaction would not require going to having a referral or an authorization or take time out of work to go to a primary. You could just go direct. So basically you're doing for physicians or specialists, in this case, what Uber did for taxis. Well, essentially the Uber model concept of the direct access without the middleman. But you, in, in point of fact, you're correct. When you get into a taxi, an Uber car, you Uber for two reasons. One of them is you need to get from point A to point B. And also, you know the price before you get in. You're not going to pay a hundred or two hundred dollars extra for that ride, but you might pay an extra twenty dollars to get out of the rain. But and I think that's really what the um, Uber model has done in a lot of ways: is it make it makes it affordable and makes it transparent, and it removes the middleman. So that's basically what we're trying to do with UberDoc. We're trying to restore that very basic patient-doctor interaction and make it very transparent and make it very simple. Now, when did you start this? So, believe it or not, just in March of last year, um, I've been thinking about it, obviously, for a long time. Um, and then I uh, managed to uh, have a co-founder who um, is a business person. Uh, he's a surgeon who also has an MBA and started a couple of companies. So I, st I reached out to him. Um, and essentially, um, I put a bunch of people in a room one night, um, mostly doctors, um, mostly healthcare professionals, uh, people who also um, had investment or inventions, a lot of entrepreneurs, like, like strangely, a lot of urologists, because the urologists seem to be very entrepreneurial. Um, and basically, I gave them the presentation about what I wanted to do. And, and this is rather humorous. Afterwards, one of them came out to me and said, you know, Paula, I've known you for, you know, 15, 20 years and known your dad before you. I never thought that you would present something this good. <laughs> and he said he didn't mean it as an insult, but, um, but he was, he, he thought, wow. And by that next day, people had um, handed me money and said, let's do this. So I said, okay, I guess we should do this. Um, I should say that it, 
a conversation. We have a wonderful um, advisor, a, a venture capitalist who does not invest in our company. Uh, he is a cancer survivor who makes cancer drugs. He's in the biotech field. And at the very, very beginning of this, our initial conversation, when I tried to explain what I was trying to do, he said, you know, in healthcare right now, issues of access, quality, and cost are always a, are always kind of the challenge. In point of fact, one of those doesn't really matter, and that's, believe it or not, quality. It's access and cost, because people assume quality, right? That is true, actually, right? We're because, all... Go ahead. Because if you think about it, I'm in the emergency room, and I need my appendix out, and they say Dr. Darko is going to do it. And, and I turn to the nurse, is he any good? <laughs> and they're not going to say, hey, you better get out of here fast, right? And in fact, just last night, I was doing an appendectomy, and I caught the anesthesiologist actually telling the patient, oh, Dr. Muto is very good. You're going to be very happy. She's quite good. You know, because, because we are well-trained. We all do what we're supposed to do for the most part. Um, and it is assumed that we're going to do the best we can for the patient. That's the public trust. So, but cost and access is an issue. Right now, the cost is too high and the access points are way too low. Patients just have to wait too long to get what they need. And we're trying to basically upend that. We're trying to increase the access point and decrease the cost, which my um, spirit guide, you know, that's what I call him, my mentor, said no one was doing in the marketplace. And that's why he thought it was a good idea and that we should pursue it. With funding now, you're saying that you have a bunch of, in essence, angel investors or investors who funded you since last year. Now, in terms of total amount of funds, did you have to input any of your money, um, savings, 401k, any of those things to kind of get this going? Or was it purely based off of the um, the, the donations or um, the givings from venture capitalists, angel investors, what have you? Well, it's very interesting you should ask that. I actually haven't put that much. I haven't had to put that much of my money in. I put my time in. And there's certain things that I don't put on UberDoc, if you know what I mean. You know, um, I, there are certain costs that I just absorb and I don't track them. But I have to say, no, I put in a certain small amount of investment. So did my co-founder. Everyone else, all the other investors, are, again, are healthcare workers. I have investors that have given me a small amounts of $1,000. The biggest amount we've received is $50,000. I have people, doctors, my Uber docs themselves, that when I present to their group, they sign up and they want to become investors. It's kind of been my dream that Uber doc is owned by Uber docs because at point of fact that those are the people who are going to be invested in making it a success. And it's, it's quite remarkable how dedicated so many people are that are, in fact, investing. My, you know, my wound clinic nurses, um, a retired nurse that, that um, helps us in our office with procedures, um, you know, my, um, my technologist that works with me every day. These people have a lot of faith in the, well, they have a lot of faith that it'll, it's a good idea and they have a lot of faith in me that I'm going to be able to, to kept, uh, pull it off. And let me tell you, you work very, very hard for those people. Um, so I've been very fortunate and we haven't had to look for a bigger dance partner. And part of me doesn't want to. At the very beginning, I was actually offered $2 million in a Starbucks because strangely enough, that's Starbucks is where kind of, I guess, venture capitalists hang out. Um, and it was a businessman. As and he basically to golf courses. <laughs> as opposed to golf courses, I guess. But he said to me, he said, well, you know, obviously you're not going to be able to do this because, you know, you're a surgeon. And I looked at him and I said, you're kidding me, right? You know, I didn't say that to him out loud, but I thought, wow, you know, you know, and I said, 
no no offense, but I'm thinking that so much of medicine right now that has failed has begun is because we apply a business model to it. Patients are not customers. Patients are patients, and you can't predict outcomes based on how much you invest. The best you can do is provide access and provide the quality and provide it, an opportunity for a patient and a doctor to just you know do you know interact without a lot of interference. Well, the earlier you made a point as to why patients should consider UberDoc, all of the benefits of this. What's what's the strong case for physicians to jump on board this? Why why would a physician want to uh, join UberDocs? Well, you know that is a great question because when I first started this, um, I didn't know. I thought this was a great idea, but I and and the group of people in my boardroom thought it was a great idea. But I thought, well, really, let's take it on the road and see. So I went to my very first group of orthopedics, a great group in our community, and I gave my you know idea. I gave my pitch, and I said, well, you know, I want you to become an Uber doc. Um, you know, I basically want you to take less money um, from a patient because insurance will pay them more. The three hundred dollar price point is low lower than uh, an insurance payment, but higher than Medicare because you can't go below Medicare. It's illegal. Um, and, um, and you know what? I didn't make it to my car before they texted me immediately and said, we're in. I'm like, what? Wow. And then the reaction I've gotten from every group I've spoken to is the same. There's such a passion among surgeons to take care of patients. They are driven truly by the interest of the case, not by the level of insurance the patient has. And one of the saddest things that you ever hear is when you're sitting in your office and you hear your secretary tell someone to at the window, I'm sorry, the doctor can't see you because you don't have your referral. And you watch the patient leave. And you're like, but wait, they have a good leg for me to operate on her. Wow, they, I know they have a gallbladder that I want to take out. Um, and they are told to leave. And, the, and it's so, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's not correct. Um, so essentially, the surgeons that have come on board are coming on board for, I think, a variety of reasons, but it's not economic. It is to connect with patients and to and to basically break the system and provide simplicity. Is this primarily surgeons or is it uh, different types of specialists that you would see or is it mainly like orthopedic surgeons, general surgeons? So basically, our you know we're looking for our main specialists right now because this is a minimal viable product, our general surgeons vascular surgeons, ear, nose, and throat, urology, uh, <clears throat> orthopedic surgery, and um, gynecology. Um, we wanted to just stick with surgical specialists. In terms of the, the, the consumer side, the, the question I want to ask for you is, is who's your perfect um, consumer? Is it a consumer who is a millennial, a consumer who is in his 30s, 40s, someone without insurance? What, what's What's the solution is UberDoc a solution for everyone? That's a great question. So I always say in my five presentation, not you know who would be your Uber patient and who and but not everybody would be an Uber patient. So if you think about who would be your Uber patient, people who you know you know who are who are working and who can't afford to take time out of work to take two appointments instead of one, uh, people who just don't want to wait it's because it's inconvenience. I mean, think about how popular CVS walk-in clinics are now um, and, you know, walk-in centers in general. Right. Um, so it's people who just don't want to wait. Um, I do think that also you have people who are looking for second opinions outside of restricted networks. Um, you know, your family doctor used to send you across the street to your doctor, to, you know, to a specialist. Now they 
send you across town next time. Next thing you know, they're going to send you to another state. Um, you know, it's it's just because the systems are so confused. So I think that you know when we when we thought about this, we we thought. Um, uh, that those would be our patients, the people who would be able to, who would want those second opinions and so forth, and, and that wanted the convenience. When we did our market research, which was a national um, market research um, that actually my sister-in-law did, she has a, um, she's a strategic marketer with a, a great company, um, and essentially we looked at people from ages 18 to 69, we looked at all um, different, you know, equal sex and different um, income levels over 30,000, so we were kind of trying to purposely avoid people who are on you know, Medicaid products that are, that are you know, in the working poor. Um, and essentially, 37% of them said they would use it, which was, which, which really was quite astounding. Um, and 20% uh, said they wouldn't, and a third of the patients didn't really know enough about it. Um, so it turns out that, that the research that we've done, at least so far, shows us that, that people are interested. Now, the biggest demographic that came out about 50 or 60% was, in fact, you, uh, no offense, but men between the ages of like 35 and, and 60 who are not going to take three steps, whose time is is valuable to them. Um, I, I say no offense because I think of my, my husband. I love him dearly, but, you know, he's a little whiny when something happens and he wants it done yesterday. He doesn't want, I say, you have to call this, you have to call this. Well, I don't, I don't want to do that. And he will always pay a little extra to skip a step. Uh, so actually it was men between 35 and 55. <laughs> The initial, and I guess I'm trying to get my head around it. The initial um, visit with a specialist, you have a broken ankle, you go and see an orthopedic surgeon through UberDoc. That's going to be a total of three hundred dollars. Am I correct? Yes, and I should say that it's not for emergencies. Okay. So when you think about who wouldn't be an Uber patient, um, not everybody's an Uber patient. It is not for emergencies. Um, we don't want to be for vague complaints. You know, like I have belly pain. It's like no, I have a gallstone. You know, I have back pain. It's like, no, I have spinal stenosis. You know, will patients know that? Well, probably if they've gone to some kind of like, you know, walk-in center or something, or they've been told this, you know, over the, over time by their primary, but the primary is just not sending them for a referral. So, so in terms of the broken ankle, um, we would not, you know, those are emergencies that you would have to see an emergency. Now, if you twist your ankle, um, yes, you want, you twist your ankle and you want to see an orthopedic. You look, you can look on UberDoc and say, boy, you know, I work on Tuesdays, but I have off Wednesdays. I found a doctor, a doctor available on Wednesday. You just simply choose the location and the appointment and you and request it so for example a gallbladder okay here's a gallbladder a gallbladder will cause you to go to the er you get evaluated they say you have gallstones you have biliary colic you need to have your gallbladder taken out that exactly. initial visit that you see with a general surgeon that's going to be uh, the initial rate but what about the surgery if they have to stay in the hospital is that all covered through the uber doc fees or is that where nope. insurance is supposed to take over that's where insurance takes over this gotcha. is just to get you in front of the expert for that first visit then you can use your insurance after that you know there's no problem with that and for medicare patients where you know you can use the fifty dollars to to make the appointment and then you, you, as a Medicare provider, you can't bill the patient, but you can bill Medicare for that. So for the Medicare patient, it becomes like a concierge model, $50 to get in when it's convenient for you. And then you can bill Medicare for the rest. And you think, and in that that situation, you think of the elderly parent. You know, say you're visiting your elderly parent from your out of town, and they have to go see their urologist, and your and the appointment isn't a good time for you because you're working. You can say, you know what, I'm just going to Uber it and bring my mother on this day so that, that I can make sure that they get seen when I'm there. 
So we're, that's the, the model we're looking for Medicare. But for the most part, our demographic is going to be probably younger people, working people, people with very high deductibles. I mean, let's not, you know, we, let's not forget about the deductible population. A lot of people are already paying cash for care. Um, and so this will offer an opportunity for them to kind of get in front of the specialist, see what it is. Say, for example, you go in and you say, well, what is it going to take to have my gallbladder out? And how much time out of work am I going to need? Only a surgeon can explain that right, to you. Right. And then, of course, if you need surgery, you can sign up on the way out the door. You, you can use your, your insurance. And if you need a referral, you'll generate, you can ask your primary for the referral. So, you know, so. so let's, let's take an opportunity to pivot just a little bit. Um, how are you able to manage, because you are still a general surgeon, vascular surgeon, full-time, yes. full I'm assuming? Yes, full-time. I was on call last night. So how are you able to, to balance that life with, you know, your other life of being you know, the creator and actual, you know, operating officer of UberDoc? How are you able to balance those things? Well, you know, it's really funny. So we're surgeons, right? And you understand this. So when you make a decision, it's fairly quick, right? Yeah. We don't really have a lot of time. Surgeons are like, we're built-in efficiency people. You have to get from the OR to your office to, you know, the me. And for me, I have two children, would have to make it to the school, pick them up, bring them to wherever they need to go. So my children are both in college now. My son went off to college in the fall. So, um, you know, six months ago, I anticipated an empty nest. And I thought, well, you know, there's a little bit more time when that was, when that you know, when your children are out of the house. Um, and I have to say that it's, I, you know, I, every day I think about my task for UberDoc and going forward, obviously it's going to get, it might potentially get harder. Um, but right now it's, I'm just energized. Um, I, I get very excited because surgery is my passion. And, um, and when I'm in the hospital, I talk about it with my healthcare, other healthcare professionals, my doctors, my nurses, the nurses, like the healthcare workers love this because they, you know, they understand and they see so much of the, of the, the pain points in the system firsthand. They see what the patients have to go through and what the doctors have to go through just to take care of something that's fairly simple most of the time. So, um, so I guess my, the, the short answer is that I've, for, I don't know how I've been able to do it, but I have, and I've accomplished, you know, I think quite a lot because I've been all over the state and, and you, you met me in Washington, DC, talking to doctors oh, yeah. all over the country. Yeah. Um, and I just, I'm, I think that I'm feeding off the energy of my surgeons who are, you know, who are like so positive and they are giving me so much advice and so much, you know, everybody's a big focus group. Do you often find that sometimes you're, uh, even during the same day that you're putting on on different hats one hat as an entrepreneur and another hat as a general surgeon at the same day in the same day well actually I, I try to focus when I'm with my patients I very much focus on that in fact I don't even bring my cell phone anywhere near the operating room I know a lot of people do that because I can't do two things at once you know I like to just I don't like to be disturbed except for the beeper that goes off when you're on call um, I like to when I'm focused on the patient I like to focus on the patient and get that task done um, but I do have days you know where you know at like five in the morning I wake up on and I go to my Nordic track and I start thinking about all the things I need to do for UberDoc that day or think of ideas mm. um, and I have a really wonderful group of people working with me who are all super smart um, and super passionate. Um, I have uh, two surgeons and an anesthesiologist, all women, uh, who are my uber gals, um, who do a bunch of uh, cold phone calls and presentations to doctors to oh, kind of so get the word out. There's delegation of tasks then. 
a delegation, but everybody's full time. Gotcha. Everybody's a full time operating person. Um, we Oberdock actually currently has one employee uh, who's a young woman who does our um, Facebook and our um, advertising and our oh, online yeah. stuff. She's amazing. I met her, I met her in DC. At the, you uh, met her in the, DC. Where we met, yeah. She's a she's an angel and she's so so such a young brilliant young woman and she has such and 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 she's amazing at what she does. So she's technically our only actual employee right now. Um, but you know, obviously that's all going to change. Um, we launched the doctors last week. We're anticipating patient launch and spreading the word. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. So let's say I, I asked you to be a psychic for a moment. And you have your crystal glass ball right in front of you. Where do you see Uber Doc in five years? In five years? Well, I, well, I, I was going to say in six months. <laughs> well, you know what? You know, I a couple of different routes. First of all, I think, you know, I would like to see healthcare pivot back to the patient in some way. And, and whether UberDoc helps that allow the patients to have their choice. I think that's very important. Personal choice in medicine and your body is the most important thing. And, you know, and allowing that to occur. So in five years time, you know, UberDoc perhaps will be that kind of helpful way for, for patients to be able to have that choice. If you've banked your health savings account over the next few years, um, you know, perhaps that's the way that you're going to be able to pay. Um, you're going to be able to directly pay for care that's affordable through that as opposed to, you know, um, paying um, exorbitant rates through to insurance companies and still have high deductibles. Um, so I think that I would like to see in five years uh, UberDoc being um, something that's that's normal, that's there, that's there to be a safety net for patients. I don't want, I didn't have the intention that UberDoc would replace um, the entire waiting room. It's been one of the things I uh, want to make sure is that, you know, it's just right now we're asking doctors to put aside, say, two or three slots a week, period. They see maybe 50 patients a week. Two or three of them can be Uber patients. I don't, I wouldn't like to see in five years an entire waiting room full of Uber patients because I would think that what would happen to the patients who couldn't afford it, anything, I think that wouldn't be correct. I would like to be able to see Uber that's Doc. A, that's patients. a good point, actually. That is a good I point. I would, you know, I would like to see Uber Doc as a way for doctors to stay independent, as a way for doctors to connect with their patients. You know, as a marketing tool and as a tool of convenience, but I don't want it to replace, you know, all the other avenues patients have to get to doctors you know, because good, that would be fair. That's a good point that you brought up the second point in terms of replacing your weight, your weight room, or at least not giving an opportunity to patients who can't afford or wouldn't be able to afford UberDoc. Because let's say we extrapolate that the parallels are, parallels are in Airbnb. I don't know if you heard that Airbnb just... Um, there's a law in New York City that says that basically the amount of re rentals through Airbnb has to be significantly reduced or, or gotten rid of because now there's no affordable housing for regular folks just to just rent um, because the yeah. prices have been jacked up so high with Airbnb um, facilities. So it's very interesting that you brought that up. That is something to be cognizant of with these new with new services like what you're having. Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. Because the, the point of UberDoc is to salve it, is to preserve independent surgeons or surgeons to be able to work for the patient. You know, we don't want to be able to do the right thing for the patient, not what we're told to do by the insurance company or not what we're told to do by a network or that we belong to. I think that, you know, we're just trying to break the system by allowing the patients the choice. I, again, I, I don't want to 
make it a, re a replacement of the waiting room. If you if a doctor sees one or two Uber patients a week, that pays their medical assistant salary. You know, none of this is going to make them trillionaires, but it's going to give them enough cash flow into their offices to 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 provide more resources that they need. Now, what's what's been the feedback from colleagues? And I'm talking about not colleagues who are Uber docs in your situation, but just general colleagues, other physicians who have heard of your venture. Have they been have they been positive? Have they been negative and different? Well, this is funny because um, at the beginning, I figured I'm going to find naysayers, and I've been trying to find naysayers because, in fact, one of the reasons to go to the American College of Surgeons is I was looking for the negative person. I was looking for the person to tell me no. Um, I All over Massachusetts, you know, obviously the independent orthopedic group, that's an easy yes, right? Um, interestingly enough, I was rejected by a very large orthopedic group, um, not by the doctors, but by the practice administrator, um, who actually um, was quite resistant to the idea that patients would have direct access to the surgeons. Um, and it was interesting because they, you know, they say, well, you know, we provide pri priority appointments already. It's like, well, um, that's kind of interesting because I've been on, you know, I've been trying to get through to your office five times um, and I've been on hold for 35 minutes. Um, so I find it very difficult that, you know, hard to believe that you are available to your patients all the time. Um, so, so I found a little pushback from giant organized groups that kind of, because the admin people are basically, you know, they're controlling chaos. And if you give sort of a, if you allow the patient to go directly to the doctor without a lot of interference and a lot of need for even the office to make those appointments, um, it kind of maybe threatens that administrative structure. So so that's the one negative that I've gotten. In terms of the doctor groups, initially I, I just really approached independent doctors. And then I realized that there are a lot of hospital-based doctors that are supported um, I have a large multi-specialty group that I met with, um, and I was amazed. I was truly amazed because they saw the value in it immediately. And here's this giant multi-specialty group, and they realized that a third of their referrals don't come from within their walls. Um, and they really wanted access to patients outside of their own network. So um, so it's, it was fascinating. And then at the American College, there were academic surgeons, the trauma surgeons, um, even the National Cancer Institute doctors saw value in this and to be able to give a second opinion um, remotely on a cancer therapy, you know, for $300, you know, which is incredible. Um, so I have to say that for the mo what I was surprised with is how many people were willing to lower their price, how many pe people were passionate about wanting to participate. Paula, let me ask you a question now. As you start to get more popular, as it starts to take off, obviously you're going to get more competitors in the realm. And um, I did my own type of market research and tried to see if there's anything like this in the United States. And it's very sparse. There's one that's similar to this, um, but it's mainly with primary care doctors that's in the West Coast. I couldn't find anything on the East Coast, but are there any competitors that you are that you see lurking around? Have you thought about that comp competition and how that's going yep. to play with your business model? Um, yes, actually. Uh, so, main competitor that is closest to us is Zocdoc, and Zocdoc is a is a very convenient application, but that integrates into an office electronic record. We do not. We don't want to do. That. Um, we want to just make it like a phone call to the office, but it's just handled seamlessly. In other words, the patient just makes the appointment, and the office then is responsible for putting them in the scheduler. Um, for many reasons, we want because the office 
integration systems are complicated and there's so many electronic record products out there we didn't want to go near that zocdoc also uh, works on an insurance model you know so people use their insurance so for for specialists it's a little trickier to make that convenient appointment because there's always going to be well do we take your insurance do you have the referral do you have the authorization uh, by making it a strictly cash model none of that's an issue so that is basically our competitor and zocdoc also takes all specialists anyone with an mpi number uber docs are all vetted um, board certified or board eligible they have to be licensed in their state and they have to be credentialed at at least one hospital um, so, you know, we don't want um, Uber docs to be like a retired orthopedic like my Uncle Joe, who did a lot of injections in his office. Uh, it was great. My Uncle Joe is a great orthopedic, and he had an office in his house. Mm. How cool is that, right? Yeah, those days are gone. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's incredible. And so, but he, but, you know, so as he, when he, you know, retired out of surgery, he, you know, he did injections. Um, and he was great injections. But anyways, but we don't, I love my Uncle Joe, but Uncle Joe, we, we don't want Uncle Joe as an Uber doc. We want people who can actually operate, you know, because we don't want someone just seeing, taking the $300 for the consult and then not be able to do, you know, take the gallbladder out or, you know, fix the knee problem. You. We're getting towards the end of our, our interview. Towards the end of my interviews, I always do quick, fast questions. So um, we're yes. going to do about four or five quick, fast questions. Are you game? I am game. Is All this right. like, do I have a timer? No, no. no. There's, not, there's not a timer, <laughs> but you almost can think about having a mental timer in your head. So A mental timer in my head. Okay, fast so, questions. So the, okay. fir- the first question I'm going to ask you is, what's one thing you want listeners to get from this podcast? I want them to understand that UberDoc is a simple solution and I want them to think about trying it. Okay. All right. What's one thing the audience can expect from you, Dr. Mudo in 10 years? In 10 years, I, I don't, I don't have a vision of what to expect. I hope I still am taking care of my patients in 10 years and that I'm still able to to take care of my patients. Well, so ultimately in 10 years, do you, you ultimately want to still be practicing medicine and also running this company? Um, you know, I would love to be able to always do surgery. I'm not so sure that I need to be, I'm the person that has to be at the reins of, a, of what will be a multinational company by then, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, if it's an international large corporation, that, those aren't my skill sets. Um, however, I always would want to have, it's part of my heart, it's, it's my child. I'd like to always have, make sure that the vision remains, remains clear, simple, and correct. Now, with, with this show, obviously, you've heard some of the episodes, hopefully, in the past, but this show is all about telling stories. I'm trying to inspire other physicians to consider non-traditional, clinic, non-traditional career paths. So if there's any one piece of advice that you can give to someone who's sitting on the fence, not sure if they um, should jump at that idea that they've always had, is there anything that you can impart onto someone who's sitting on the fence and not sure to take that leap? You know... I have to say that I've been very fortunate and blessed, but it has been so much fun. It is so fun to be able to to speak to people who are outside of your field, but use the same skills that you use every day, just in a different context. And that is really energizing, and it's incredible. You know, and it 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 kind of it makes you very excited and enthusiastic. So I would say that anyone who's kind of getting in that situation in their careers where the frustration and the anger and you know and the burnout rates are so high, um, maybe this is a good avenue. Take those skills that you do so well and just apply it in a slightly different context. And whether it works or not, it's still really fun. Knowing what you know now, let's uh, get an opportunity. Let's take an opportunity to see if you can give yourself 
let's say 10 years ago when you were a medical student. You like that, right? 10, Ten years, years ago. ago. 10 yeah, years sure. ago when you were a medical student. <laughs> Let's, Try again, like 25? You're, hey, you're, you're doing 30. it. I just said 10 years. I'm 53. So. <laughs> I'm 53. So yeah, 19, I graduated medical school in 1989. Okay. And that's when we got married too. So, so if, if, you had, if you had the opportunity to give yourself advice back when you were a student, Dr. Muto, what's the one, the most important piece of advice you think you would give yourself now? I think well, that's a hard question because I really... I feel like, you know, I was preordained in so many ways to do what I'm doing. Um, and I absolutely love it. I think you have to do what you love. I think that's what it is. You've got to do what you love. Because if you do what you love, it's not a job. Excellent answer. I love it. The last one is something that I ask all of my guests. Okay. <laughs> this is a statement where you get to just say, look, I'm not just a doctor. I do X, Y, and Z. Some of my guests have said world traveler. Some have said mom. Some have said, you know, entrepreneur. So I present to you this statement. It's called, or it says, I'm not just a doc. I'm a, and it's blank. So you, so you, Dr. Muto, Paula, <laughs> I'm not I'm a doc. I'm a, an adventurer. No, <laughs> no, I like that. Actually, nobody's used that before. Okay. You want to stick with that final answer? Sure. Well, stick to that adventure. <laughs> yes, All right, it's cool. not just a job. It's an adventure. Yes. So Paula says, I'm not just a doc. I'm an adventure. I love it. Excellent answer. And that's a wrap, guys. Episode 24 is officially over. Listen, if you know anybody who will benefit from this interview or this podcast, go ahead and hit the share button on your favorite podcast application or better yet, send them the direct links to that person and let them know all about this show. As always, I love feedback. There's plenty of ways to get in touch with me. You can reach me through Gmail. My email address is nii at docsotb. You can also hit me up on the Facebook page. Twitter, the handle is at docsotb, as well as on Instagram. But before we leave, remember one thing. We only have one life, so make a count, and let's live outside the box.